Well, a very warm greetings to everyone around the world. Certainly is a great privilege to be able to speak uh, with you today uh, on the Feast of Trumpets. I'd like to pass on a special greetings to all our brethren in Asia, in Southeast Asia, the Asia Pacific region, uh, certainly a large area, and we certainly uh, do appreciate the, the prayers of all of uh, God's people around the world. And uh, certainly want to pray that as now we f- uh, come into the, the fall festival season, uh, that we're excited about this time of the year. It is time of the year that we all certainly look forward to with great anticipation. It's kind of weird for me to say the fall festival because in Australia we, we're actually just coming out of winter. So it's really the spring festival for those of us in the southern hemisphere. Uh, for those of you who uh, haven't been to Australia and think it's just all desert, it's, it's not true. We actually, in some parts of the country, we have, uh, we have four seasons. And um, we, so we're not just desert. We're not just snakes and spiders and all the most dangerous uh, insects and uh, predators in the, in the world. We actually have a very beautiful and, and diverse and, and richly blessed country uh, with some fantastic natural resources. So uh, Australia may not be all that uh, you may have heard about. But anyway, regardless of where, wherever you are around the world, uh, it's certainly wonderful to be here, to be able to keep God's feast, to worship our great God uh, on these commanded feast days, especially today, the Feast of Trumpets. And, of course, the Feast of Trumpets is one of the most exciting times in God's plan uh, of salvation. Uh, but sadly, very few people truly understand the, the purpose and the meaning behind uh, the Feast of Trumpets, and very few people really understand it. Really, aside from the Church of God, uh, very few people in the world recognize its true significance, its true importance. What makes us in the Living Church of God different? Why do we understand the the true meaning of the Feast of Trumpets? Well, God says in Amos chapter 3 and verse 7, he says he reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. He also says in Psalm 111 verse 10, he says a good understanding, a good understanding have all they who keep or do his commandments. And God gives us an understanding because we do keep and do his commandments. Also, Jesus Christ himself said to his disciples in Matthew 13, he says, it has been given to you to know the mysteries or the hidden things or the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. So there are a few reasons uh, and certainly very exciting to realize that of all the people in the world, brethren, you and I and, and God's people all around the world have an, an incredible understanding and a privilege and a calling where our mind has been opened to the understanding of the feast days, uh, especially the Feast of Trumpets. Of course, as God gives us this glimpse into his plan for humanity, it's uh, important for us to understand uh, where we're headed. It's important for us to understand uh, that this is a, is a truth that is given to the church of God. Brethren, as we begin, though, I'd like to ask a, spe- uh, a question, ask all of you a question. Uh, what is it that we pray for above all else? What is the most important thing in your prayers, in your daily prayers? What, what is the most important thing? Is it your health? Of course, some of us are facing and enduring great health trials, and that is certainly something very important to consider. 
Uh, job security is another important thing and many in God's church uh, need work and seeking work uh, and I'm praying to God that he would bless them uh, with, with a suitable job to take care of their financial needs. For others, some are praying for a husband, some are praying for a wife, uh, some are praying for religious freedoms and depending on where you are in the world, religious freedom is something that is being taken away. Uh, and so it's for, for many, that's, that's very important. Jesus Christ had something that was very important to him. And in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, we can read what was on Christ's mind. You know, his prayer uh, is recorded for us so that we can, uh, if we can understand what was going on in his mind and what was important to him, then we can begin to understand what, what should be important to us as well. In Matthew chapter 9, uh, in verse 6, Matthew chapter 9, in verse 6, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, my apologies. We have here Matthew 6 and verse 9, we have the model prayer. And the beginning of that prayer, uh, we can read, uh, in this manner, therefore pray. Christ, Christ is actually giving us an instruction here. He says, in this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come, uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when Jesus Christ looked around, he recognized uh, that there needed to be a change. Something needed to happen. And brethren, when we look around in society today, when we see the injustices that are taking place in the world, when we see the environmental pollutions, the our planet crying out, because of the pollutions that are happening, when we see the corruption in government, when we see corruption in in business, and when we see a sick and immoral society that is that is is rotting uh, from the inside out, brethren, and when we see these things, when we see the disease and the destruction, the poverty, do you also pray for God's kingdom to come? Do you pray that something would happen? that would end the suffering of humanity. I certainly do. I have the opportunity to travel uh, to some very poor uh, nations around the world. And when I see the suffering and the poverty and the disease, and my heart goes out for those people. And I certainly, uh, in, with more earnest, pray thy kingdom come. Because I know, just as Jesus Christ knew, that that was the only hope for humanity. And so that is an understanding that we need to have and that's a thought that we need to develop as we move forward and as we begin to understand the very purpose and meaning of the Feast of Trumpets. Brethren, what makes this day exciting and sobering, uh, it's incredible for us to really come to terms with. It's exciting when we understand what this day means because it marks the beginning of thy kingdom come. It marks the beginning of Christ's rule on earth. But it also points us to a series of events which sadly must take place before Christ is able to take his rightful place as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. My title for the sermon today is Trumpets, Thy Kingdom Come. And so today I want to give an overview of what this day means for humanity, for God's people, And for all those who will be alive when this day is finally fulfilled. Let's just first turn to Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 23. And of course, as many of you would know, 
This uh, is the chapter in which God's holy days are listed for us in order. <clears throat> and we can read the instruction, uh, of course, that this, these feasts were given by God to Moses to pass on to the people of Israel. But in Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 23, we can read the instruction specifically uh, regarding the Feast of Trumpets. And then the Lord spoke to Moses, Leviticus 23, verse 23. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. We need to notice here, brethren, that this was a specific day that God had set aside, a day that would be regarded as a Sabbath rest. It's like a Sabbath. It's a day to rest from our labors. We also need to recognize that this is not the Feast of Trumpet. It's not singular. But this is the Feast of Trumpets. And so we have a, a key indicator that this time pictures perhaps a series of trumpets, not just one, but a series of trumpets, which helps us to pinpoint the very meaning of this day. Well, of course, we're given the instruction there. You shall do no customary work uh, on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And so this is a day that needs to be set apart in our annual uh, schedule. We need to be going to our employer and saying, you know, sir, ma'am, uh, we need, I need to take a day off. Uh, I need to, uh, I've got some uh, commitments that I need to, to take care of. Uh, if you're at school, you need to make sure that you let your teachers know that you uh, organize well ahead of ahead of time uh, that this is a day that you will be worshiping God. You'll be uh, observing this day that God uh, commanded us uh, to observe. And so it's important to recognize that. But brethren, when we read those few verses, do we really get a clear picture of what this day means? Well, not really. We, we really don't from this very uh, small instruction here. It's, it's not clear. And so like so many things, we've got to go to other uh, other places in the Bible to really get a, a fuller understanding, a fuller meaning uh, and a deeper meaning of, of this particular day. And so what we, what we can do is we can look uh, to references, other references in Scripture which refer to trumpets, uh, which specifically talk about circumstances that relate to the blowing of trumpets, to the use of trumpets. Of course, when we look at the nation of Israel, um, we can uh, see that they were given instructions to actually um, to, 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 to make trumpets, and those trumpets were used in a very important way. They were, they were used when blown in a particular sequence or in a particular way, whether it be a, a long blast or a short blast or a, or a staccato-type blast. Each, each blast or each blowing of the trumpet had a significant a meaning behind it, we to go left, to go right, to stop, to move forward. And so it was a means of communication, a bit like we might send an email today and we might say, you know, dear sir, please do this. And that, that information and that instruction could be then passed on. So that was one way you can read about that in, in the book in uh, Numbers chapter 10, verse 10, that the whole chapter really of Numbers helps uh, us to understand the purpose of, of uh, the trumpets. You can also read in the same chapter that the trumpet was blown uh, on, on specific uh, occasions, on special occasions such as feasts, uh, as we read here. 
and also a great times of joy uh, and occasion on, on, on the new moon as well. Uh, but there are two other specific uses that relate uh, to the blowing of trumpets. The first is the trumpet uh, was blown as a warning uh, and a call to, re- to repentance, uh, a warning and a call to repentance. And the second was uh, for the coronation of a king. Uh, and those two are very significant. They're very interesting and they're very helpful for us to start to get a picture of, of what this day means for us today. Let's have a look how the trumpet was blown or the shofar, the ram's horn, uh, as uh, we read um, in regards to the coronation of a new king. We can have a look at that in, in 1 Kings chapter 1. If you turn to 1 Kings chapter 1, and you can read a couple. We won't read the whole uh, explanation here, but just we'll take a few verses uh, here just to demonstrate the trumpet being blown. Here in 1 Kings chapter 1 and verse uh, 34, we read here that there let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel and blow the horn and say, long live King Solomon. And of course, this is after King Solomon's father had had died and King Solomon now uh, was being coronated as as the king. He was made king. And these ram's horns blow the horn, the shofar, and say, long live the king. And we look forward to another king coming in a very short few years ahead of us. Uh, and we'll be saying, long live the king, when our elder brother, Jesus Christ, returns. We look, certainly look forward to that time. Verse 39, then Zadok the priest took a horn of oil, Interesting, the horn itself uh, refers to to strength. Uh, so the horn of oil uh, from the tabernacle and the horn, um, and they blew the horn, and all the people said, long live King Solomon. Very interesting to see that even King Solomon, when he came to power, when he came to fulfill or he was given that, that authority, uh, those, that trumpet was blown, that shofar. And that's the same word that you, re- you read in, in Leviticus chapter 23. <clears throat> but there is another sobering aspect, and that's the call to repentance uh, that I referred to a little bit ago. Uh, Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 1. This is the other aspect of blowing of trumpets, which is help us, helpful for us to recognize and to be aware of and also to respond to ourselves if necessary. In Isaiah chapter 58, we often read this scripture in uh, in terms of us preaching the gospel. <clears throat> uh, Isaiah chapter 58 and verse 1, and we read here, Cry aloud, cry aloud, spare not, and lift up uh, your voice like a trumpet. Like a shofar, and you know, I I play the saxophone, and and the saxophone doesn't nearly have the kind of sound that a trumpet does. If you're in a room with a trumpet, it's deafening. Uh, you know, you 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 want to put some ear earphones in there or in some uh, earplugs to to cut the noise a little bit. And when the shofar is blown, and I've I've uh, had the opportunity to blow a ram's horn, and and certainly you can look it up on the internet. You can Google. Uh, blowing a ram's horn or blowing the shofar, 
uh, and have a listen to that that sound and its incredible, powerful, uh, resonating sound that it makes. Um, so we're not to come preaching uh, softly. We're to cry out. We're to spare not. And we're to lift up our voice, not to be afraid to preach the truth and to tell people, hey, you need to repent. You need to make some changes in your life. And as it says there, tell my people their sins. You know, not softly, softly. You know, we need to be bold. We, we certainly don't want to, um, you know, bring wrath upon ourselves. But we need to be bold. And we say, no, no, that's a sin. That's something we need to repent of. That's a transgressing God's laws. And we, we shouldn't, we must not do that. And that's what we are doing on the Tomorrow's World program. Of course, that's what we see Mr. Weston doing, Mr. Ames, Mr. Smith and Mr. McNair preaching powerfully on the Tomorrow's World program, lifting up their voices. And uh, I know in Australia and in other countries, um, <clears throat> the, the, uh, those who do the, uh, the editing, I guess, or those who decide what programs go to air or not, uh, sometimes they don't like us telling the truth. Sometimes they don't like us saying it how it is. And so they reject a program from time to time. But we're given a very clear instruction, uh, what we must do. And of course that goes in line with the commission, uh, of the church. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 33. We can also see, uh, in Ezekiel, uh, the same reference to, uh, blowing a trumpet, to giving a warning. Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 1. Notice our responsibility, brethren, our responsibility because we have to give a warning. Uh, we have to at least uh, let the people know that unless there is repentance, there is some very significant, very painful lessons that humanity is going to have to learn in the not too distant future. And, and brethren, if we can help some to take heed of that warning, well, then that's that's our job. Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 1. And again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, when I bring the sword upon the land, upon a land, and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman, when he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet, if he blows the shofar and warns the people, Hey, there's danger coming. Blow that trumpet. Let them know. Warns the people. Then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon uh, his own head. Well, we, we've done our job. We've preached the gospel as a warning, as a witness to the world. And brethren, if the world does not listen to that, that that's on their head. But God has given the warning. Through his church. Verse five, uh, he heard the sound of the trumpet, uh, but did not take warning, but his blood shall be upon himself. But he who takes warning shall save his life. And it's very encouraging to know that God gives us that opportunity to repent, to have salvation. And that's really what we want to do. And we, we want to guide humanity towards that end. Verse 6, but if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, the shofar, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes away any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquities, or in his iniquity. 
but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. And that's onus is on us. If we don't do our job, if people are not warned, then God holds us accountable. And so we have a big responsibility. We have a job to do. That's part of why we have been called into the church today. Not for personal salvation only, that's part of it, but also to be part of the end time work, to preach this gospel that is going to go out to the whole world, not just the people of Israel, but ultimately the gospel will be preached to the whole world, as Christ says in Matthew 24. So this warning will be given, but brethren, some will listen, and we pray many will listen, you perhaps heard that trumpet warning and and you responded and and now you're a part of God's church. You're part of the body of Christ. And we pray that many will perhaps change their life uh, before the tribulation and before the seventh seal is opened, which pictures uh, the end time. We also read in Joel. We can turn to Joel, uh, Joel chapter 2 and uh, read another chapter. Prophecy, really, which uh, helps us to understand or where we can reference the trumpet, the shofar. Joel chapter 2 and verse 1, again, blow the trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm. I think what what we're doing here is we're establishing that the Feast of Trumpets, yes, we do know and it's it's taught very uh, regularly that the, the Feast of Trumpets pictures Christ's return, but it's not just about Christ's return. It's also about the warning that precedes Christ's return. Because remember, Christ comes, when we'll go there, we'll, we'll, we'll look at those scriptures, but he comes at the seventh trump, at the last trump, when Christ, when that seventh trumpet blows, that's when Christ returns. Blow the trumpet, verse 1 of chapter 2 of Joel, blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. And we're getting the picture here that this is a significant event in the history of man. Um, The inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like morning clouds spreading over the mountains. Uh, People come great and strong, the like of whom has never been. And if you continue on, we won't take the time to read uh, this whole chapter of Joel, but it certainly does describe uh, some very significant events. Later on, you read of wars and you read of earthquakes, uh, the sun and the moon growing dark and the stars are diminishing in their brightness. This is a very uh, revelation uh, when you read the scriptures, and we will. Uh, in Revelation, there's a, there's a great correlation there which ties these prophecies together. Uh, so Joel, uh, God inspired Joel to also demonstrate that the trumpet was used uh, very significantly to give a warning. And of course, why does God need to do this? Well, history has recorded, brethren, for thousands of years, there has been wars and there have been conflicts, brother against brother and nation against nation and people against people. And there has been destruction and and a, and a complete inability of the human race to get a, along, to live in peace, to be ruled by a government which which delivers peace. And perhaps uh, a few governments have done 
that to a small degree, but it's never lasted. And we look forward to the kingdom of God and we understand that that kingdom has eternal consequences. And we want to be a part of that. We recognize the great value that uh, comes from keeping God's laws and living God's way of life. And we want all of mankind to one day experience that. And so the things that we see in the, ra- in the world today, they will be a thing of the past, brethren. Uh, we can certainly be praying about that. Thy kingdom come. That's what Christ, that's why that was on his mind. Because he knew that was the true answer for the problems and the, 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 the problems that people face in society today. You know, God gave, uh, has given us, you know, a good understanding of, of Bible prophecy. We read in Daniel, uh, about that change of government that will take place. God gave Nebuchadnezzar, uh, a dream that he didn't understand. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar went and wanted to, to f- have the dream interpreted. So we, he spoke to all his, all his magicians and his soothsayers and his, uh, and his own prophets, and they couldn't understand what the dream meant. They couldn't, well, he said, tell me the interpretation without even knowing what it was, what the dream was. And then he set about to kill them all because they thought they were all charlatans. And um, and so he was he was a pretty ruthless man. But anyway, of course, uh, God was working with, uh, with Daniel. And we read in Daniel chapter 2, we can read... <clears throat> uh, let me just get my place there. In Daniel chapter 2, we can read, uh, in verse 32, we can start there. We won't, I won't take the time to read through uh, this whole chapter. It's uh, probably you, you're aware of it anyway. But uh, if you're not, please take the time to, to read through it and to study it. But it's very prophetic. It helps us understand uh, what has been taking place uh, in the in world kingdoms. In uh, Daniel chapter 2, verse 32, this image, this is the dream, and Daniel's uh, explaining it back to the king. He says, this image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And you watched while a stone was cut out, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay. Uh, and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff uh, from the summer threshing floor. And then the wind carried them away, just blew, blew this chaff away, the remnants of these, uh, of this image. Uh, and it's what it was uh, composed of. Uh, and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. No trace of them. And that's quite prophetic as well. Because uh, God's not going to bring this world into his kingdom with him. He's going to be completely started fresh. Uh, we're not going to be looking back and going, oh, you know, remember the time in the great Babylonian Empire and remember the time in, in the Roman Empire? Wow, those were some good days. No, we need to re, we, we don't want to be looking back. We need to be looking forward. Uh, and then we read there, it continues on and says, and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth, not just a, a small little part of the earth, but the whole earth was filled. And what, what does all this mean? Verse 36, and this is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. And we can uh, read through some dialogue here, but we'll just drop down uh, to the 
uh, to the, the, the point I want to bring out, verse 44. And then, and in this, and in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. And so he just, Daniel had just finished explaining what these previous eras of, uh, of kingdoms represented. Uh, and in the days of these kingdoms, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break into pieces and consume all these kingdoms, the ones that have preceded it, and it shall stand forever. And we know the kingdom of God is eternal. And this is what it's talking about. Jesus Christ, thy kingdom come, a kingdom that will have no end. Verse 45, inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut from the mountain without hands and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold. The great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain. The dream is certain. And the interpretation is sure. Brethren, these things are going to happen. We're going to see and uh, the establishment of the coming kingdom of God. It's going to happen. The question is, are we going to be there? Are we going to be a part of that kingdom? What position will you and I have? How will we be able to interact and help as that new kingdom is being established and taught and rolled out, as it says, across the whole earth? This new kingdom will fill the entire earth. Very exciting uh, as we begin to understand the purpose and the function of uh, the Feast of Trumpets. And, of course, it leads us into the rest of the, the Holy Days, into the Feast of uh, Tabernacles. So what is happening in the world to cause the need for this change to take place? Well, brethren, and change, as we've identified, when we look around in society, there needs to be a change. And, of course, God has been dealing primarily with the nation of Israel. And, of course, that consisted of uh, uh, the whole tribes of Israel. And God was giving and God gave them his laws. He wanted to have a relationship with them. He wanted to work with them. But they proved themselves to be rebellious and sinful, carnal, and, of course, hostile as as is condition of our human nature, hostile uh, against God hostile against his laws. But God especially was hoping and wanted to work with the people of Israel so that they would become an example to the rest of the world. Uh, but sadly, the nation of Israel, uh, they were carnal, uh, human nature. They did not have God's spirit. And as a people, they became idolatrous, uh, self-obsessed, rebellious, idol worshippers, uh, and, and the rest. And they turned away from their creator. They turned away from God. And they reneged on the covenant that they made at Mount Sinai, that they would do what God said. And, of course, God had to and will need to, uh, not only for the physical nation of Israel, uh, but also the descendant nations of Israel. And ultimately, the whole world uh, will have to uh, certainly get involved and begin bringing people back to him. So go to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1. Let's just have a quick look at what God is dealing with and the attitude and the, and the spirit behind uh, the physical people of Israel back uh, in ancient times and also modern Israel specifically today. 
Here we read in Isaiah chapter 1. Uh, we can read in beginning in verse 1, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, uh, Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. And he says here, hear, O heaven, and, and give ear, O earth. You know, he's calling upon heaven and earth to be a witness. For the Lord has spoken. And God says, he says, I have, no, I have nourished and brought up children. And they have rebelled against me. You know, as a father, you know, I, I nourish and I provide for and I care and I, I love my children. And yeah, if they go against my, my wishes and my instructions, that, that has an impact on, on me as a father. I want to see them happy and I want to see them prosper and I want to see them safe. And when they make decisions contrary to that, when I see that they're heading in a direction that's ultimately going to hurt them, it, it, it affects me. And just as it affects God, because he looks upon the nation of Israel as his children, as he says here, I have nourished and brought up children. But they have rebelled against me. Verse 3, the ox knows its owner. Well, you know, that's that's nice. The donkey it's master's crib. The donkey knows who his owner is. The ox knows who his owner is, um, who feeds him, who protects, who provides, who shelters. And these these dumb animals uh, recognize that they they belong to and they need to have a relationship with their owner. Otherwise, you know, it's it's, it's built into their uh, into their um, into their nature. But not so with Israel. As it says, but Israel does not know, and my people do not consider. They don't even know who their God is anymore. We live in such an, uh, a society that is godless. We don't even know who our God is anymore. Verse 4, alas, sinful nation, a people laden. You know, not, not just a few iniquities, but laden, uh, burdened with iniquity. A brood of evildoers, you know, children of who are all evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Lord to anger. The Holy One of Israel, they have turned away backward. Uh, why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faints from the sole of the foot to even the head. You know, the whole nation from top to bottom, from the poor to the top levels of government, uh, is corrupt, has turned away from God. And the whole heart faints from the sole of the foot even to the head. There is no soundness in it. And but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they have, they have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. We're sick. We're, we're spiritually sick. We're morally sick. Uh, as a nation, uh, the peoples of Israel are sick and because we've lost that which keeps us strengthened and we've lost that relationship with God. Verse 7, your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devel- devour your land in your presence. And we're seeing a lot of, of our land being taken over by foreigners. And that also is prophetic. Uh, and it's a sign that we have turned from God. <clears throat> Let's also go to verse 21 of the same chapter, chapter 1, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 
uh, 21, uh, how the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice. Uh, That's where God was, full of justice. God's laws were being taught. Righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross. Uh, You know, the wealth uh, has not value anymore. Uh, Your wine mixed with water, it's not the purity that it once was. Your princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loves bribes. You know, does this remind us of the world we live in today? Is it, is it reminding us that we do need a change? We need God's kingdom to come. Everyone loves bribes and follows after rewards. You know, what's in it for me? What do I get out of it? You know, show me that, show me what I'm going to get out of it and then I'll do it. Uh, we've, we've, we've lost, we've lost our sense. Uh, they follow after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless, nor does the cause of the widow come before them. You know, they're after self. And what does uh, Timothy say? Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure, lovers of money, lovers of, of themselves. And that's the world that we live in today. That's why we need a change. That's why Jesus Christ prayed, thy kingdom come. That's what we need to be praying as well. And so God wants and will need to get our attention so that we perhaps as a people will begin to change the, the nation of Israel uh, and ultimately the whole world. And to do that, sadly, uh, sadly to do that, um, correction has to be given. And correction sometimes is not, it's, <laughs> it doesn't feel good all the time. I remember as a child, my father would correct me and, and, uh, and, um, it, it wasn't always, uh, pleasant. It wasn't always ice cream and, uh, and chocolate. It was, uh, there was a little pain involved. Uh, but I tell you, I, I learned my lessons. And it helped me to see that there is a better way to do things. And that's what God will do uh, with the nation of Israel. Let's just have a quick look, though. Sadly, uh, sometimes people, and certainly Israel, were stiff-necked. Um, and even spiritual Israel, we can put this on ourselves as spiritual Israel, wherever you are around the world. Uh, this, this applies to all of us in the church. Uh, Zephaniah, though, uh, gives us a very sobering reminder of what will it will take to get the world's attention as a very sobering reminder and i wish you know as we all do we wish there was another way god wishes there was another way uh but sadly it's going to take something a significant series of events ultimately to bring humanity and uh and satan uh, and his spirit world to their knees uh, and really uh, come to the point where they want to uh, begin to respond to God. Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 2, I will utterly consume everything. And this is where we're headed, brethren. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's sobering. It's, it's a dark place uh, in scripture in, in a sense, in, in human uh, prophecy for the future, but it's something that we do need to identify. I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and the stumbling blocks along with the wicked, and I will cut off man from the face of the land, says the Lord. 
I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against the inhabitants of Jerusalem. I will cut off every trace of Baal. Idol worship has to come to an end. The names of the idolatrous priests, the pagan priests, those who worship a host of heaven uh, on the housetops, are those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, but also who swear by Milcom. And those who have turned back from following the Lord and have not sought the Lord nor required, inquired of him. You know, it's going to be a tough time to, to be in an environment where the fish uh, of the sea are consumed, the man and beast will be consumed, and there'll be stumbling blocks uh, in front of uh, the human race. It's going to be a tough time. Verse 14, but the great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. Uh, there are mighty, and there the mighty men shall cry out. You know, even the, the the great leaders of society will be crying out, saying, "What? What is going on? How do we how do we get through this?" Verse fifteen: The day of wrath. The day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm. Now here we see again a reference to the trumpet. A day of trumpet. The shofar will be blown, and an alarm, a warning. Just as we read in Ezekiel thirty-three. The watchman gives the warning. These trumpets will be a warning. Perhaps people will repent and change when they start to see what's taking place. Verse 17, I will bring distress upon men. They shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like refuse. Uh, We won't read any more of that, but I think we get the point that God will have to do some correction uh, to get us humanity to the point where we will begin to listen to him. And, of course, correction is done because God loves us. You know, God says uh, that he, he gave his only begotten son and he loves the world. Um, it says in Hebrews 12, God chastens every son he loves. Uh, for the, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. You know, correction is something that we don't enjoy but the fact of the matter is, you know, a loving parent will correct their child. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24, uh, for, you, for you parents out there, I encourage you to be reminded of that scripture where it says, he who spares his rod hates his son. If you don't correct, if you don't deal with rebellion in your family, God says there's a lack of love towards your child. But he who disciplines, um, but he who uh, disciplines him promptly, uh, that uh, he loves uh, his child. You read that. Perhaps I didn't quote that quite uh, perfectly, but Proverbs thirteen verse twenty four gives that uh, instruction. You know, if we love our children, we're going to discipline them. You know, parents, if we don't guide and discipline and train and direct our children and correct them. And teach them God's laws, teach them how to have manners, teach them how to have respect and how to honor the hoary head, to to respect each other. You know, if we don't do that, uh, they're going to have a life of uh, a difficult life. But we as parents can 
can help guide their lives and they can avoid a whole lot of pain and trouble uh, down the track. And that's love. And of course, that's the motivation and that's why God will uh, inevitably do what he, he will do, which is not only to get the attention of humanity, but to also to bring them back to him, bring them back to him so he can begin to really bless the world. And that's the ultimate goal of God. And so God does use a series of trumpets to give those warnings. Uh, let's go to Revelation. We'll, we'll keep moving on here. Revelation chapter 6, we, we, we read, of course, the book of Revelation <clears throat> was a really um, a book that was written by the Apostle John, uh, who wrote uh, while he was exiled in the island of Patmos uh, in the Aegean Sea. And so John give, gets this vision of a scroll. Uh, it's sealed uh, with seven seals. We, we won't take the time to go through the specifics of all of those seals. It's really the the, the, the four horsemen and uh, the uh, the beginning of sorrows and the tribulation, all that time there uh, in Revelation chapter 6 uh, is where it begins. Uh, but we should turn turn to Revelation, Revelation chapter, we'll start in 6 and we'll, we'll just, um, I guess, break in uh, into the where it, where it begins for us. So the sixth seal is where I want to start because... We have the first five seals, and of course, they represent the the white horse, the fiery red horse, the black horse, the pale horse, and uh, and of course, we see the parallels in Matthew chapter 24. Uh, but we see the introduction um, that is given just before the seventh seal is broken. Of course, it's only Jesus Christ that opens those seals. But the sixth seal, I looked in verse 12 of chapter 6, I looked and when he opened the sixth seal and behold, there was a great earthquake. And we read some of this in, in Zephaniah and some of the other chapters, uh, books we read earlier. Uh, and there was uh, great earthquakes and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood. We read that in Isaiah. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs uh, when it is shaken by a mighty wind. And then the sky recedes as a scroll when it is scrolled up, uh, and every mountain and island moved out of its place. I mean, this is getting the attention, is it not, uh, of of those who were who were alive at that time. Verse 15: And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, and the commanders, the mighty men, <clears throat> every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains, and they were afraid. Now, these people were legitimately in fear of their life. And so they hid themselves. And of course, uh, God is, this is the process of humbling man. It's not there yet, but it's the process. Verse 16, and they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the day, the great day of his wrath has come. Uh, who is able to stand. And, of course, this is uh, the day of the Lord that we, we're moving into, um, into chapter chapter 8 is where we begin to read where the seventh seal is now open. We'll turn, we'll, we'll, we'll keep going here in chapter 8 of Revelation. Um, it says here, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence uh, for about a half an hour. So, of course, there was, previous to that, there was not silence. There was a lot going on, but there's a, a time of 
everything was at peace, a very short time. Sometimes silence can be deafening uh, because it's, it's like what's going to happen next. We're just waiting for that next event to take place. Verse 2, when I saw the seven angels who stand before God and to them were given seven trumpets. Here again, we're, we're referring to the Feast of Trumpets. And here, and remember, we said not the Feast of Trumpet, one trumpet, but the Feast of Trumpets, uh, plural, many trumpets. And here in Revelation, and we understand, this is why God has given us uh, an understanding of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. Um, verse 3, then another angel Uh, Having a golden censer came and stood at the altar and he was given much incense that he should offer it to the, uh, with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And then smoking, uh, the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before men from the angel's hand. And then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire, judgment from the altar and threw it to the earth and there were noises, thunderings, lightnings and earthquakes. Again, you know, this whole earth is getting battered, uh, is really going through a, a difficult series of events here. And of course, human beings are living on the planet and having to deal with this. Uh, so the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to, st- to sound. Of course, we read here the first trumpet, um, the first angel sounded his trumpet and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown into the earth um, like great balls of icy fire thrown to the earth. Uh, and a third of the trees, a third of the trees were burned up and all the green grass was burned up. You know, that's, that's an, uh, an environmental disaster. And when you think we can't go in, we don't have time to go into the details, but the ramifications, even in the, in the atmosphere, the Earth's atmosphere is going to be affected if a third of, uh, of the, uh, the trees are not, uh, doing their job, filtering the air, giving oxygen. Um, what's, what's that going to, what are the consequences of that? And verse, verse eight, then the second angel sounded the trumpet, sounded his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. Perhaps like a big meteor, um, crashed onto earth, big, some sort of great volcano that, that was burning. Um, we're yet to find out, uh, the real, the reality of some of these, uh, visions that were given. Uh, but a third of the sea became blood. You know, there's no oxygen in the ocean. Uh, the, the animals, the fish, the sea life, if it's turned to blood, they can't survive under there. Uh, and a third of the living creatures, and ultimately, you know, we see later on that they died. A third of the living creatures of the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Some incredible uh, catastrophe took place uh, that had a very significant impact uh, on the oceans. The third trumpet. Um, the third angel sounded, verse 10, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on the third of the rivers. So the drinking water now, before it was the oceans, now it's the drinking water that's being affected. Third of the waters became wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. The fourth trumpet, the heavens are struck, and the fourth angel sounded, verse 12, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon <clears throat> and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, and a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. You know, what? what is 
taking place here. Perhaps it's as a consequence of the previous uh, three trumpet um, uh, blasts where the vegetation, the seas and the waters and the whole atmosphere is being affected. Uh, perhaps that's why some of the um, certainly an atmospheric uh, phenomenon is taking place for the, the sun and the moon and the stars uh, to be darkened. And verse 13, And I looked, and behold, an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Hang on. You know, uh, there's something coming here. Because the rena- remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels are about to sound. Of course, then we move into the fifth trumpet. And uh, the fifth trumpet certainly uh, has uh, very interesting com- uh, uh, complications. <clears throat> um, we, we can read here uh, in chapter 9, in verse 1, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit. Like the smoke of a furnace, so the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. And then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth, and to them were given power as scorpions uh, of the earth. And really this is, uh, you know, it seems to indicate a demonic presence. Uh, that great, um, uh, that angel, uh, that star that fell from heaven and, and went and opened the bottomless pit, as it says uh, further on, a little bit further on, it says, uh, as it's talking about um, verse 11, and they uh, had a king over them. Um, really, it's, it's, it's really probably the demonic world that uh, is starting to influence uh, certain um, governments and uh, war is beginning to break out between uh, countries. <clears throat> Of course, this this particular trumpet um, seems to indicate some sort of um, uh, perhaps a, a toxic environment, which is um, uh, a gas um, warfare that uh, bio warfare that is um, affecting men, <clears throat> as it says in these days, verse six. These days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee, f- uh, f- flee from them. Of course, as I was talking about a minute ago, a second ago in, in verse 11, uh, and they as a king had over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek his name is Apollyon. So death and destruction. And you know that really refers to Satan the devil. And he's getting quite angry and upset and getting more and more involved uh, as things come wind up and come to an end for him. And of course, the first woe is past. And then the sixth angel sounds, and of course <clears throat> we see the gathering of a great army in this case. I'm really um, uh, won't talk in, in great detail, but we see a massive army uh, beginning to to come together. Uh, verse 16. Now the number of the army of the horsemen were 200 million. Uh, incredible uh, army that that comes together, and. Uh, uh, a great deal of, of the human population are killed. Verse 18, by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. Now that's on top of the fourth of mankind, uh, as we read, well, we actually didn't read it, but in the fourth seal of Revelation 6, um, 
it says, I'll just quote that there in verse 7, the power and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with a sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. So back then a fourth of the population was killed, and here we're seeing another third uh, is... Uh, is going to be killed through these uh, this sixth trumpet plague. Of course, uh, then we need to move a little bit forward here. Uh, we have to skip <clears throat> uh, chapter ten a little bit. Um, actually, if you, uh, I find it quite interesting in in chapter ten. Uh, I'll just make reference to it. Uh, it says in verse one, I saw still another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. And a rainbow was on his uh, head. His face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. You know, I just wonder what the, um, the, the homosexuals will think when this mighty angel comes down with a rainbow over his head. They think perhaps their God has just come down, their perverted version of God uh, comes down with a rainbow over his head and, and uh, perhaps for a minute, a brief fleeting moment, they think, um, uh, things will be all right for them, but of course, uh, uh, that's not going to be the case. <clears throat> Let's just go to chapter 11 now, chapter 11, and we'll get to the seventh trumpet here. This is the, uh, the, the, the last of the seven trumpets that are blown. They're very significant, uh, especially for God's people. And of course, we've just gone through those first six trumpets, and they're the warning, they're the prelude to really Jesus Christ returning and to some incredible things that will happen in the lives of God's people, the saints, those who have been faithful for millennia to God's word, God's laws. And here we read in verse 15, uh, Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. So we read in Daniel, that was the the vision that Nebuchadnezzar was given and that Daniel the prophet interpreted. Uh, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And that seventh trumpet, when that seventh trumpet sounds, you know what? We're going to be excited, brethren. You and I, we will know we will take our place with Jesus Christ if we endure to the end. Uh, and that's going to be an exciting time for God's people. That's why the Feast of Trumpets is really is one of the, the most exciting, maybe not the most exciting, they're, they're, they're all significant, but brethren, for us, when we understand it, you know, our elder brother, Jesus Christ, the things that we've been enduring and what we've had to overcome to get to at this point, um, we will know at this point we've made it. And, of course, we can begin to see that Jesus Christ and the saints will begin to make incredible changes to the, to the planet. And we have that opportunity to be a part of that. Of course, the seventh trumpet is not just the return of Christ. Sadly, uh, I think if you read a little bit further on, I think it's in chapter 16. Uh, we Lack of time, we won't go through the specifics of it, but... Of course, the seven bowls, the last seven plagues are poured out on earth uh, in, as part of the, the, the seventh trumpet being blown. You, read the, you can read that uh, perhaps in your own time, uh, Revelation chapter 16, and of course it's the final conclusion of man's government and man's rule. Uh, but Jesus Christ will have returned by this time and, 
beginning to establish his government, well, that will really cover the whole earth. So we, brethren, are very excited to have this understanding. Uh, It's in this environment that you and I uh, will be uh, born into the family of God. We will become full members of the family of God. Uh, For God's people, that is when our prayer, thy kingdom come, uh, becomes a reality. Thy kingdom come, that prayer that Jesus Christ prayed, the prayer that we pray today, that becomes a reality. It's a time to rejoice. Of course, in Numbers chapter 10, rejoicing, times of great joy were when trumpets were blown. And and I, I think that when we understand it, it's not just Jesus Christ coming as the King of Kings, the brethren for us, brethren, what our future is to become kings and priests. And so that trumpet is not just for Christ, but as kings and priests into the family of God, we also become a part of the, the coronation in a sense. So it has great significance for us, for God's people, uh, who are in that first resurrection uh, and either there when Christ returns or we'll, we'll read a couple of, of scriptures about that in just a second. And we need to understand that because this is a very significant part of the Feast of Trumpets. And it's a truth that has been hidden, it has been lost, it's been squashed by Satan the devil. No, he is, he hates God's plan. He hates God's people. Uh, but we, we can explain, uh, in more detail if we turn to Matthew chapter 24, what in fact will happen. Let's just quickly turn there, Matthew chapter 24. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 24, uh, and verse 29. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days. Again, <laughs> the sun will be darkened. We just read about that in Revelation. So these are dual, uh, dual prophecies, really. It's talking about similar, you know, really roughly the same time here. The sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the son of man I will appear in heaven. We just read that in Revelation. Uh, the seventh trumpet sounds and Jesus Christ returns. The Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet and they will gather together his elect, uh, his chosen ones, you know, God's chosen ones, his elect will be gathered together. You read in John chapter 15, verse 16, it says, you did not choose me. This is what Christ says. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. We're the chosen ones, in a sense, the elect, uh, from the four winds uh, from one end of heaven to the other. And so God gathers uh, his people. Uh, we become uh, really born. Uh, into the family of God to receive our inheritance as joint heirs with Jesus Christ. All the people who have been called, chosen, and remained faithful uh, and endured to the end will be uh, will be these these people described here in Re- in Matthew chapter thirty one. Oh, Matthew, sorry, Matthew chapter twenty four, verse thirty one. We also read, you know, you can read through um, John chapter 3. It talks about that process 
the conversation that Christ had with Nicodemus about uh, that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Right now we're born of our physical parents. Uh, we're begotten at baptism and waiting to be born into our spiritual bodies. And, and that, again, brethren, that is an incredible understanding that really the church of God uh, uh, is really the only ones that truly understand and comprehend uh, the significance of, of how this day pitches into that. Let's also go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 50. Uh, same thing we just read in Matthew. Also you read in John chapter 3. And we also read here in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 50. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You know, the kingdom of God is not on earth today. Uh, it's not in our hearts. We need to be, um, we cannot be flesh and be in the kingdom of God. We have to become spirit to be members uh, and to be in the kingdom of God in that sense. Uh, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Well, it's not a mystery to God's people because God's revealed this to us. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Changed to what? Changed into divine members of the family of God. Not just begotten, not just physical, but spirit members of the family of God. In a moment, verse 52, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. When in scripture do we hear about the last trumpet? Well, we just read in Revelation. Seven trumpets are blown. And at the last trumpet, Jesus Christ returns. And at the, this last trumpet, we see here that in a twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, uh, we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. For the trumpet, verse 52, we'll continue here, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. You know, death is a a terrible thing. And we all, I guess, are looking forward to death. Uh, It's part of the process of life. Of course, while we're in this physical body, we, we have aches, we have pains, we have trials, we have sufferings, we have lessons to learn, we have character to build. It's part of the process, it's part of God's plan. Uh, yeah, it's painful uh, for a while. But we realize that <clears throat> this is the time that we look forward to when the aches and the pains uh, are a thing of the past. Uh, yeah, this is the time when you and I will get Perfect vision. When our hearing, we'll, we'll get good hearing again. We won't, we'll have to, we'll pull out our ear, um, our hearing aids and we'll, we'll throw them away. Um, our teeth, if they're crooked, we'll, they'll be fixed. Uh, you won't have to go to the dentist and pay thousands of dollars to get your teeth fixed. Those things are going to be perfected in a spirit body. No, we're never going to get tired and we're never going to wear out. And these bodies, once they're gone from corruptible to incorruption, uh, they're going to last forever. 
That's a, this is a time, brethren, that God's people can truly look forward to. Yep, some tough times that will come before that, but uh, we can look forward to this time on an individual basis, but only if we endure to the end. But I know, brethren, there are many of us who have many trials <clears throat> that we are facing <clears throat> all around the world. Uh, we need to be comforted that God says he will never leave us or forsake us. We need to be comforted to know that in our trials, God will make a way of escape for us. And we also need to be comforted to know that it'll be worth it in the end. One of my favorite, probably your favorite um, scriptures is in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. It says here for Romans 8 verse 18, For I consider that the suffering of this present time, you know, Hands up who, who, who don't have any suffering that they're, or, or a trial that they're, they're going through or uh, they've had to deal with. I consider that the suffering of this present time <clears throat> are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, there is nothing that you and I uh, will go through in this life that can even remotely compare to the glory the, the, the spirit bodies that God will give to us and the opportunities and the potential that God has revealed to us that we will have in his family with Jesus Christ. There's, there's nothing that can be compared to that which will be revealed in us. You read those scriptures, brethren, and, and remind yourselves. I do. I need to from time to time remind myself of, of what God's plan is. And thankfully we have the holy days. You know, if we didn't keep the holy days, we simply would not understand the very purpose and meaning of life. Uh, we need to keep the holy days. God, God gave them to us for a very specific and important reason. But brethren, we have been given this knowledge. Let's not take it for granted. Uh, let's make sure that we are not careless with our calling. Uh, we need to be constantly vigilant. Uh, we need to be steadfast in our desire to continually overcome, to be growing in truth, to be, to be growing in understanding. Uh, you know, one of the things that Christ says is that he will come as a thief in the night. You read that in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. You know, the indication there is that if we're not ready, if we're not prepared, this, this, all this is going to take place in, in, in it, at a time when we're not, not actively prepared. And so the, the uh, the emphasis uh, is on that we're doing our part, that we're preparing for Jesus Christ to return. Brethren, are you ready? Uh, are you preparing for Jesus Christ's return? Uh, how is your prayer life? What is your relationship with God? Is it getting stronger? Are you building a relationship with God? Or are you plateauing? Is it is it not going down, but it's not growing either? Brethren, these are some of the things that we need to be uh, diligent to, to examine in our lives. How diligent are we in our Bible study? Uh, this is how we get to know God, when we read God's word. Are we a light to the world? Or brethren, are we trying to blend into the world and perhaps not be seen and not look like a misfit, but to just be a part of the world, have our feet 
in both camps. We can't do that. We need to come out of the world. We need to be different. We need to be a light. We can't be a light if we're in darkness. We need to be a light to this world. And we need to be praying, thy kingdom come. We need to be zealously looking forward to God's kingdom to come. Brethren, all these are questions that each of us must must answer ourselves. We must all uh, take heed. You know, we're also given an instruction that it's difficult. We have to endure to the end. Um, and that's something that all of us have to go through that process. But brethren, if we're watching, if we're praying, if we're keeping the Sabbath as God intended, if we're keeping the holy days, if we're staying faithful, if we're praying for each other and praying for the leadership at headquarters, praying for Mr. Weston uh, and praying for the men to preach out powerfully and spare not when they put their TV programs and the Tomorrow's World together so that that message, that warning message can go out to the whole world. We have a great message. We have a great job to do. Let's get behind it. Let's put our hearts into the work. Let's put our hearts into our prayers and let's pray that God will use us to finish the work in this end time. So, brethren, let's thank God on this day. Let's thank God for those three little words, thy kingdom come. Brethren, it's good to be able to speak with you. Have a great feast of trumpets. Really study these scriptures. Really think about the meaning of this day and God will truly bless you.